Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. You know, when you stand up in front of a group and you look out and all you see is stoic, you kind of go, oh my God. So, but... uh, Gosh, um, so much to say in so little time. Um, as Sue alluded to, the passing of Billy Graham, um, strategic to say the least. Uh, a number of the prophetic ministries uh, over the previous years have, have uh, said the Lord showed them that, you know, Billy Graham was one of the last generals, if you will, um, of the evangelical movement as far as salvation, tent meeting, tent meetings, etc. I mean, to the likes of Oral Roberts and T.L. Osborne. And um, Ken Clement actually had a word that, and this was a number of years ago, that at the passing of Billy Graham would mark a strategic time in the church in that his mantle, okay, would not be passed on to another individual, but would be passed on to the church. So, and who's the church? You and me, okay? So that's exciting. And, um, you know, there's, you, know, you also mentioned Chuck Pierce um, and Dutch Sheets. Dutch Sheets was here this fall, if you recall. And um, um, he, was, he was telling us that... Um, Chuck Pierce had given him a, a word from a from a vision or a or a, a dream he had, and it was re- in regards to President Trump, and that um, it would be ten months that would be very strategic and it would be very dangerous, okay, for the Trump for Trump, uh, his administration, and but at the conclusion of ten months there would be an opening, there would be a you know, a release, if you will. And I'm paraphrasing some of this, so um, this is not gospel, but I believe in the prophetic. I believe that God tells men and women ahead of time of what the church can expect in the body so that we're not taken by surprise. Amen? Amen? So, um, uh, Chuck Pierce had told um, um, Dutch that, and he relayed this when he was here, that that this 10 months, um, we need to be praying and really praying in for our president. And that 10 months period would be ending on February 22nd, okay? And so um, Cindy Jacobs had a word as well and said, you know, we need to have a conference. We need to have a get-together. We need to have a launch, if you will. And so that's what the this meeting was in Washington, D.C. this week on the 22nd called the turnaround. Amen? And uh, Chuck was there. Cindy was there, I believe. I saw the one web streaming live on Friday night, and Dutch Sheets was there. And uh, so it's nothing happens by accident. And so there was a release at that meeting as well, and it happened the day after Billy Graham passed away. You know, I think what's incredible is that... um, I just feel that the Lord's shaking something, shaking something, okay? He does, he does say that 
Everything that will be shaken or can be shaken will be shaken. Amen? So there's a stirring. There's a shaking going on. You may not believe or have confidence or faith, which we shouldn't probably in men, especially those that are elected officials these days. But God is moving in our government. He is moving. Our men pray every Saturday morning. And what we have prayed over and over and over again for six years, maybe going on seven, is that, Lord, shine your light in the darkness and expose the evilness of men. And I believe that's coming to pass. Not by us, because I know there's hundreds and thousands of other prayer groups going on that are asking and petitioning the Lord for the same thing. So, well, now I'll get started. Um, the, uh, I want to let everybody know, I'm, Kathy's not here with us today. Kathy had, she's got a real bad knee, so I ask you if you, if you think of her during the week that uh, you pray for her. Uh, we've got an appointment with an orthopedic, but it's, it's um, you know, and she's not one to sit still very long, I can assure you, although she does like her time in the computer. But uh, if you think about her, pray for her for me. I'm going to miss her because, you know, at our age and married for 45 years, we end our sentences for each other. So, <laughs> so when I'm getting that look, I can look at her and, you know, and get it. But, uh, and you all know what I mean. So um, this morning I want to... Um, and let me back up first. I'm going to kind of speak for all the elders. You know, this has been, uh, I won't say it's a difficult season. We, we have been without a pastor for a year and five months. Um, but God has been faithful. We have not missed a lick. And, you know, he planted in his, his will, Bill and Sue Otten, in this place, to, to get us through a season, Lord. And I'm so grateful and thankful. I'm also thankful, our elders are thankful for the leadership teams that we have here that, uh, you know, because I've, I've been in some churches where, where the, the, the set man, if you will, left and the sheep just scattered. And uh, I'm thankful to the good Lord that, that you have stayed the course and, and plugged in, and, and we do appreciate that. And I think there's some exciting things for us ahead. Amen? So, hallelujah. Um, what I want to talk to you about this morning, um, in anticipation of this release, okay, uh, of the Lord, and, and that we are going to be the ones, okay, in this next move, that we look at our behavior, okay? Um, you know, in business, there's a, typically there's a vision statement, there's a mission statement, and there's some core values. And uh, in the church, I believe it's, 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 it's the same. Um, in the kingdom, we have a vision, and I believe the Lord is clear in that, and his desire is that all should be saved. All should come to know Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why, the Lord, that's why he sent his son, that all of humanity would be saved. So that's the vision. The mission is for us, go into all the world. Amen? That's our mission, go into all the world. And then the core values, I think, will determine how you fulfill that vision and mission. And basically, your core values are how you behave. What are your actions? Are you following? 
are your actions consistent with your vision and your core and your and your mission statement? So I'm. This is not a condemning word whatsoever. I, this is for me. Um, you know, in the world, I mean, we've been going through all kinds of things, tribulations, and there's wars and rumors of wars and things of that sort. So it can it can affect you. I'm telling you, it affects me in the way I think. I mean, I'm driving to work and I'm. Somebody pulls in front of me, and not too nice of things come out of my mind, my mouth sometimes. But you know what's nice is that the faithfulness of God is if we are quick to repent, He is quick to forgive. So we don't have to, we can get it through that. So, but what I want to talk about this morning um, is our behavior, a believer's behavior. We're living in this world. You know, the Word says that we're in this world, but we're not of it, we're actually aliens. That's a that's an interesting concept. Um, a couple of scriptures I want to, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's uh, first turn to Philippians. And uh, got my sticky note here. I'll tell you what, that's the best invention ever made. I'm telling you. Turn to Philippians two fourteen through sixteen. And I've got three scriptures here that we want to go to, and you'll, you'll, I want you to start looking at some of the connections, some of the connecting of the dots in the scripture as we move forward. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Well, I don't know about you. I guess we could stop right there and pray, huh? That you may become blameless and harmless Children of God without fault in the midst of what? A crooked and perverse generation. Are we in a crooked and perverse generation? Amen. Among whom you, that's us, shine as lights in the world. So you're a light. It's the light of Christ in you. Amen. And that light, as I said before, should dispel all darkness. Should. Um. Turn to Matthew five sixteen. This is where this is the red. This is where Jesus has uh, just he's, he's he's on the mountain and he is basically giving us the beatitudes. And uh, you know a lot of people stop it after the stop reading after the blessed are, and don't read further. But there's further that he was giving us. Uh, as he was teaching on the mountain. Um, Verse 14, excuse me, 16. Well, let me read through 14. You are the light of the world. That's you, that's me. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives the light to all who are in the house. Here's Here's the scripture. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. So let your light so shine. And why? You know, our behavior matters. And the non-believer, the reference here is that before men, that they may see your good works and glorify God. So they're going to look through to you your works, what you're doing, that doesn't mean physical work. That's how you behave. Are you resembling? Are you emanating, you know, 
Christ inside of you. And I can tell you, people are looking at you. Um, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. This tells you who you are. But you are a chosen generation. Hallelujah. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may, what? Proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that his mercies are new every morning. I grab a hold of those every morning. So, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as soldiers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul, and having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, non-believers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, what does that mean? That tells me that my coworker, my family member, friend, whatever, may not be saved. But when there's that day of visitation, they're going to be reminded of our, my behavior. Okay? Was I Christ-like? Okay? You know, and, you know, I could do this for about an hour, but I only have about 15 minutes, right, Mike? Um, the, uh, that is the verse for me uh, in this particular setting. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, because you have the light of Christ in you, and you shine, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. As a proclaimed proclaimed Christian, non-believers are looking and observing our behavior in various situations. It doesn't doesn't mean in church. Okay? It means in the workplace. It means in the line in Walmart or Publix or wherever you might be talking to the DMV, okay, or whatever. Um... People are looking at our behavior. They will immediately know if there is a difference in you and in the world. And if there's no difference, I can tell you they're going to see and know the hypocrisy. Amen? So, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, And I know what one looks like because I've been one. Amen? I had an experience when I was a very young man. Teenager, actually. Um, I was an athlete. We were in the church, all involved in church. My father was a deacon, um, and I sang in the choir. That's when it was pretty cool for guys to sing in the choir, um, especially the athletes, a bunch of us. But um, my senior year ended. I went to California uh, with a buddy of mine just because and um, came back, and my hair was long. Well, think about it. It was only three months, so it was about as long as the Beatles, okay? Well, I came back into the church, and it was like I was, what is this guy? What is he doing? You know, because they were always, I was always high and tight. And uh, so I, I understood the hypocrisy. I, I, I recognized that immediately. 
And I left that church, and I never returned. And I went into the world, okay? So I think we have to examine ourselves. Are we walking the talk, okay? And if we're saying one thing, do our actions reflect that? Amen? This, don't get heavy on me, okay? This is, this is all good, okay? So I um, had another experience. Uh, you know, I believe experiences tell a whole lot. Um, other than just sitting here and spouting off um, words to you. Um, I was, we came up here in 1988, and I worked for a, a development company. I did a number of developments here on the island, and I uh, was very blessed and fortunate. Um, I came up here as a born-again believer, um, and they knew it. Um, about eight years into that season, um, we were down in Lake Nona, developed and, and uh, managed Lake Nona. It's a very high-end community. A lot of the PGA professionals live there. And uh, we had a dinner that night with some of the investors and myself and, um, and the president of the company and the officers. And they were honoring me as a new vice president of the company. I'm going, woohoo! And, you know, the toasts and the congratulations. There's probably 15 of us. And then... Um, unbeknownst to me, at the end of it, it said, all right, guys, the limousine's out here. We're going to the strip club. So what do you think Trip did? <laughs> I kindly passed. Um, and I'm not saying that to pat Trip on the back. I'm just telling you, there's ex- you have these same examples in your life where you had to draw a line in the sand because of your belief and your faith in the Lord, that you weren't going to go there. And what I'm saying, the the reason I give you that example is that because years later, those guys understood when a visitation of the Lord came, there was a remembrance, okay, of that behavior, okay? So everything that you do, okay, at some point in time is going to have an effect on either a non-believer or a new believer, you know, new believers are the ones that are really looking at you. They want to know how, they're trying to emulate how this Christian is supposed to act. So, the onus is on us. I mean, we have an obligation. Um, I've also had the experience of working with, with some very successful businessmen that uh, proclaimed to be Christians and walked didn't walk the talk, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, I would be out in the, in the community talking to other folks, and that name would come up, and I got a, a litany of, well, this guy, this guy, and I'm going, really? So you can't separate your Christian walk, okay, from your business or your social time, whatever. It, it is all one. And you should be acting, I should be acting the same no matter who I'm around. So, you know, I guess, you know, our response to these situations matter. They really matter because people are looking and watching on how we're behaving. Um, I think I already did the apology I I wrote down in my thing. I'm ashamed of some of the things that I have not done, okay?
say that in hindsight I should have. So don't, don't look up here and think this guy's got it all made and all done. I, but as I said earlier, if I'm quick to repent, he's quick to forgive. Okay? Amen. Um, the last thing I want to go through really is, is what I believe some of the things that the Lord has given us that could and should um, drive our behavior. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Um, I'm going to read that, and then there's just a couple things, and I'll leave it to you to, to kind of meditate on these. But I think these are, are things that the Lord's given us in Scripture that uh, will help us in our behavior. In fact, the little, the little header on the, in, my, in my Bible says, behave like a Christian. <laughs> so let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And weep with those who weep. Excuse me. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I have that one underlined and highlighted. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So I just tried to number a couple of these things. Love is in, the, in, in verse 9. Love without hypocrisy. All right? You know, love is our guiding principle. You know, it's a great commandment. Okay? Amen? And if we do all these things without love, what's it like? Mm-hmm. Um, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. You know, we are to turn from evil. And it'll flee from us. Amen? It doesn't mean that you have to always do battle with it. Just turn from it, and it has to go away. Honor giving preference to one another. That doesn't just mean opening the door for someone. Um, That means listening to them. They may have a different opinion. But I think it's important for us, um, you know, to give preference to, to someone else's voice and not be the sole voice in the group. Be diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent. You know what that means? Very hot and glowing. Very hot and glowing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We could probably stand on this one for a little while as well. Amen? Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. You know, I think each one of us can look at that and, and have some indication of what that means for us individually. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Well, I, can, I have been wise in my own opinion, and it has cost me a lot of money. 
if you can relate to that. Um, you know, Scripture tells us there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. So don't go doing those things on your own because there's a word from the Lord from another brother or sister for you in a situation. Okay? That's why we're connected. Amen? And repay no evil, no one evil for evil. That's pretty self-explanatory as well. We're not to act like the world. The world wants vengeance. The Lord says we're not to do that. The vengeance is His. Amen? So... So what are we saying today? I mean, I, we could. there's a lot more to this. I hope this has kind of shown some light and given you a perspective on you as a believer and what our responsibilities are, how our behaviors affect the world. Uh, as we've noted, and I, and I believe this, the Lord is getting ready to pour it out. And there there is something happening, okay? This was a... A line in the sand. This is a marked day, if you will, with the passing of Billy Graham. And I, I really believe that the church is about to rise up. We've, we've got things that are happening behind the scenes that, that we don't even know about that the Lord's been working and doing. And, and so we need to be excited. One of the things that I'm excited about is our new pastor. Hallelujah. I mean, um, you can only listen to all these old gray hairs for so long. Um, but I, you know, it's just a different perspective, um, but it's God. And I'm excited about a multi-generational congregation. I'm excited about the, <laughs> the energy of the youth. Amen. And uh, I hope you are. But um, I, I, it's going to be, it's a great day for Christian Real Church. I sure appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for enduring this season. Uh, it's been a season, but it hasn't been a dry season. Amen. So, so what are we saying? Your behavior matters. Amen. Hey, boy. Thanks, Trip. Good morning. This is normally how I'm facing when I'm in here. But no matter how I face the Lord is my foreguard and my rear guard. So be nice. <laughs> okay. Give me a minute here. So as Tripp was saying, I am so excited that Caleb and Haley, their family, um, others from South Carolina School of Leadership will be joining us. Um, it, it, it's been a wait, but he said, you know, People have risen to the occasion. Um, it's because of you that we're, you know, it's not just that we're asking him to come. He chose us too. There was something here that he saw that he wanted to be a part of. So we should be thankful for that. So um, last week, Haley's sister, she was sort of caught off guard. She had given a, a word weeks before and I think, um, Bill asked her to come up and share that word, and she didn't really remember it exactly. <clears throat> but basically, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but she said that she saw this body paving the way, basically making pavement for the next generation, and don't let the pavement run out and keep preparing the path. And um, I've been thinking about two things um, since we the announcement that Caleb was coming. 
Um, one is our inheritance. And what does it mean to be multi-generational? And a definition of um, inheritance that I found um, was that believers are privileged to receive a spiritual inheritance from their Heavenly Father as a result of their adoption into the family of God through faith. And Ephesians 3, 6 says, and this is God's plan, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. So a definition of multi-generational basically means pertaining to or affecting multiple generations. In this country, in most cases, we don't live in multi-generational families. Um, All the Claytons aren't here, but I know at one point in your life you had a multi-generational home. Um, But that's really not the case in the United States anymore. Um, And so in that case, you know, you have grandparents, parents, children all living together. And I work in a retirement community, and um, there was a study done by National Geographic years ago about these areas in the world that they call blue zones, and they're the areas in the world with the largest concentration of people 100 or older. And um, one of those areas, and I wish Jerry Shallow was here, was Sicily. Um, Older members of the family had responsibilities in the home, helping with children, cooking, imparting their wisdom to the next generation. They had work. They had a purpose. Um, But it also said that they would sit in the vineyards with some of their contemporaries and drink a little wine. So I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So a scripture verse that speaks about the importance of generations passing on God's truth is Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. And so I'll read that. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they turn, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. So we hopefully become a more diverse makeup and ages and backgrounds in the future. I mean, we've already got younger people. We've got, you know, we are becoming a more diverse church than we were years ago. Um, And so how do we continue to pave a path to share all that God is and hopes for us and generations to come? So how do we help nurture the next generation of leadership here at CRC? What are the characteristics in someone that helps encourage and develop the future leaders among us? 
What the church needs worldwide is spirit-filled, persevering leaders who exert deep, broad, life-changing influence for Jesus Christ. To develop leaders, we need leader-makers. And Acts 9 is the Damascus Road story. And you all know about Saul's conversion on the road. So I'm going to start in verse 17. And so Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we're trying to do when we touch somebody that doesn't know the love of Christ? Regain their sight? Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So what are characteristics of a leader maker? A leader maker takes risks to support hopeful leaders. Acts 9.26 says that sometime after Saul's conversion, he came to Jerusalem, tried to join the disciples. You remember he had previously persecuted Christians. Now, here he is claiming to be a Christian convert. It's sort of what Tripp was saying. You know, he came in with long hair, and they saw him in a totally different light. You know, they just couldn't receive him. Is there anyone who can see in him the making of a great leader. One man stuck his neck out, and when everyone else was afraid to give Saul a chance to prove himself, it was Barnabas. A leader maker has a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. And so when the church in Jerusalem heard that a church had been planted in Antioch, the one man that they thought would be a good encourager for the new Gentile believers was Barnabas. Barnabas could always find something good to encourage in people. Don't we all want to be like that? So Acts 11.23 says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He had a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. The church was new and imperfect. We're imperfect. But Barnabas saw the work of grace, and it made him glad. That is the mark of a leader maker, or a son of encouragement, as the apostles called him. Humility. But leader makers are humble. That means that they have the beautiful gift of fading into the background while, pursue, while pushing others into prominence. Where do we see this in Barnabas? In Acts 11, 25, and 26, Barnabas' ministry in Antioch had been so successful that the converts were everywhere. Instead of maneuvering for his own exaltation, 
he leaves town to look for an associate that he knows is a more dynamic leader and a better preacher than he is, namely Saul. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Patient with the failures of others, and I'm not going to do this part justice, but in Acts 15.36, Barnabas gave John Mark a second chance after he had let him down earlier. There was a period where Saul and Barnabas were going to go um, go work with believers in a certain area, and John Mark was to come with them and get on the ship, and he never showed up. So when they had another opportunity to go, um, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance, and Saul said, "No, I you know I don't trust him." And so Saul went with Silas, and Barnabas said. John Mark, come with me. I'm going to give you another chance. Free from materialism. Someone who is a leader maker, he doesn't love things as much as he loves people. In Acts 4.36, Luke tells us that the apostles gave Joseph the name Barnabas because it meant son of encouragement. The very next verse says... He sold the field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what Luke associates with Barnabas being a son of encouragement. So, he took a risk to support a dangerous new convert. And Caleb, if you hear this, I don't think you're dangerous. But maybe being a little dangerous for the Lord is not a bad thing. So, he had a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. He was humble and self-effacing and let himself fade behind the rising star of the Apostle Paul. He was patient with the failures of others, and he was free from materialism and filled with thoughts and dreams of how to make leaders for the Lord. How can we be leader makers, encouragers? Every successful leader has support from those who are in agreement with a God-inspired vision. So Exodus, Exodus 17, 8 through 12 is a story about Israel fighting against Amalek. And I'm going to start in verse 8. And it says, Then Amalek and his people came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So J- Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek and his people. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the hilltop. Now when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and he grew tired. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Then Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side and one on the other. So it was that his hands were steady until the sun set. And, you know, we've been holding up each other's hands for the last 18 months here. And I, and I think Caleb saw that. He saw that there were people that care about one another, that are willing to carry each other's burdens, to be there. And um, 
So he bought into that, and I'm thankful for that. Last part. So in Acts 2.17, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. The use of sons and daughters and young and old men is a Hebrew term used to show that all people from every demographic, young and old, male and female, will now have access to this spirit. With the coming of the spirit, all who follow Jesus have the direct ability to hear from God through its most common forms of communication, prophecy, and dreams and visions. There is a vision, dreams, work to be done, people to care for, to help find true life in Christ. And I am so excited that Caleb will be part of the vision casting for our future. Thank you, Brother Rob. These guys are all so professional. Tripp gets up here. He's got his bottle of water. He's very cool. Rob's got his iPad and everything. And I guess I'm just old school. You know, I, I know how to print one of these things out on my word processor, but I, like everything else, I always write in the margins. You know, I'm never finished, never finished with this. But um, I'm going to be uh, quoting a few scriptures for you today out of uh, a new version of the Bible that I'm reading. It's called The Message. Awesome. Um, my, uh, my daughter had a word for my son about three weeks ago. And um, he was very anxious to, to see what it said. She said it's, it's um, a, a psalm and said, but it's only from the Message Bible. The Lord told her this is from the Message. And so he, of course, grabbed the, grabbed the first Bible he could put his hands on and started reading all the way through a very lengthy psalm. And I could see the, you know, the consternation on his face when he was when he was finished. And I said, "Well, let's, why don't we look at it the way she said? Let's let's see the uh, what the message has to say." So I got the Bible app and hit hit the message, read all the way through it in the message, and his eyes just lit up, and it just spoke to him and spoke to his heart in such a powerful way uh, because it was the version that he was supposed to hear. He's thirty two years old. He's a millennial. So. That kind of spoke to me, and I said, you know, we're in a new season uh, at Christian Renewal Church. Maybe I need to take a, a new look at the Word of God. I've read through um, the New American Standard. That was our first pastor's uh, favorite, and uh, our last pastor's favorite was the uh, New King James Version. So I read through that, and uh, the New International Version in between, and this one and that one. But I said, it's a good time for me to start over again and read through the, read through the Bible all the way, and this time I'm going to choose... The message. So, some of the things you'll hear today are from the message, and it's really kind of a kind of a unique uh, approach. I just lost my place here. But um, first of all, I loved uh, I love this part. This is from First Corinthians two, and uh, Paul is talking about his speaking abilities. And uh, this is this. I don't. The, the great thing about this is it is it is it uh, gives the word in a in a format that we can all kind of understand in, in modern language. Unfortunately, the version that I have doesn't have any of the verses. It has the chapter, but doesn't have the verses. So I can tell you, I can tell you what the chapter is. This is First Corinthians chapter two. It looks like it's about maybe verse two or something like that. It says, "I was unsure of how to go about this, and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death." <laughs> 
I was scared to death if you want the, if you want the truth of it. So nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. It's a word for this morning. The message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith, your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or by anyone else. That's a good word right there. I liked hearing, uh, we were talking about uh, Billy Graham's passing. I heard some, uh, some commentator yesterday, I believe it was, saying that uh, Billy Graham, uh, when he, I think he first uh, started pastoring a church when he was 25 years old, and uh, they said that one of the things that was most powerful about his ministry was the fact that at that time, this is in 1943, I guess, at that time, a lot of churches had started off with the psychobabble and the, uh, you know, the, the culture of the day and trying to, trying to put a lot of um, nuances on the word that, that, uh, that weren't, uh, weren't the word. But Billy Graham preached the Bible. Billy Graham preached the Bible, and that was what was so powerful about his ministry. And we take that, uh, uh, what is it, 74 years forward, and today we're the same thing. There's so many, there's so many different influences out there, so many seeker-friendly churches, not that there's anything wrong with that, trying to, uh, trying to put a new, a new flavor or a new twist on, uh, on God's Word. But it's really the, the, the truth of the Bible is what people want to hear and what people need to hear for this day and this time. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of what is, is uh, in, the season, in the season to come that, uh, that these prophets are, are speaking about. But today, there is a new season at Christian Renewal Church as well. And uh, I personally welcome it. I know that for myself and all of us uh, as elders, we believe it is, it is answered prayer. And a provision that uh, we have sought diligently over the last 18 months. And a, a couple of our keys, and I've said this to you before, uh, when, we, when we wanted to know what, what the, the Lord was saying to us about the next a next season at Christian Renewal Church was to remain uncompromising as it relates to reliance on the direction of God's Word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The second was a deep desire to be the church that God was calling us to be. We weren't really sure what that was at the time we were starting to, uh, to examine that, but we wanted to hear from the Lord. We wanted to know for sure from the Lord that we were following a direction, that we were looking into the future in a way that God was seeing for us, not just what we were seeing for us as, as, as man. And that uh, we're grateful for, for that direction. And uh, by faith, we're going to uh, embrace both with uh, both the joy and the challenges that will come in the future. And there will, there will be challenges. But I do have a promise for you. Here's the promise. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's quoted in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It's from Isaiah 64.4, if you want to look all the way back. And um, I believe in, in Caleb that we have been uh, given a special gift by God's grace. Uh, a truly gifted and anointed teacher 
with a passion for the Word of God. It's just, it's just all over him. The very, from the very first time I ever heard him preach, I knew that this was someone who was different. This was someone who was special. This just wasn't just some trained speaker, you know, going to Bible school. This is someone who was um, as educated in the, in the Word formally as John the Baptist was, uh, as, as Gilbert used to say. He, he has the Word of God in him. He's a man with an authentic shepherd's heart. He will lay down his life for the sheep. And he's not just a hireling. You know, we, when we speak about uh, hiring a pastor or whatever else, I've never liked that term, and I hope that we never use it again. We invited Caleb to come and be a part of this, this body. We invited him based on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to invite him to come and be a part of this ministry team. And he was, he was gracious enough to also seek the Lord and hear from him that he should be here with us. So he's here as a shepherd and as a part of our ministry team, not as anything else. He's a team player. He really values the wisdom of others, uh, even over and above his, his own. He has such a wonderful evangelistic bent. I just, I love his passion for the, uh, for the, for the body of Christ and for the, for the community at large. He's, he's finding, he wants to find ways we can reach out. How can we touch this community? How can we go after this community? It's exciting to, uh, to, ha- to be a, a part of, uh, a, what seems almost like a new work just because of the, the vision and the perspective, uh, that, uh, that a young man such as Caleb has for this church and for this community. He embraces a multi-generational church, church family, as, as Rob has said. He's all about family. You heard uh, Haley's heart last week. So and it, the bonus we get along with Caleb is Haley and Olivia and Francis and the new baby yet to come. So that's kind of exciting. We're going to have babies around here again. So. And he also has a vision to build on the foundation that's been laid uh, before him uh, for a powerful impact for the future. And uh, no matter how, how much we've hoped for, uh, prayed for, or is a, appropriate or necessary, with changes come challenges. How many of you know that with changes come challenges? And uh, do we really think that uh, the enemy is going to stand by and uh, let us move forward and take new territory or to step into our destiny as a church without a fight? Uh, we need to be in unity more than ever before. We have been in, in, in unity for this last 18 months as we saw many good qualified candidates come before us, just like when Samuel was, um, was uh, sent to find David. David, We saw the tall ones, we saw the strong ones, and we were going, what, this ruddy youngster? That's the one that's anointed by you, Lord? Um, so we need to be in unity and support one another more than ever before. It's time to buckle up our chin straps, put on the full armor of God. And most important, as Paul directs us in Ephesians 6.16, to take up the shield of faith. Because we can expect the fiery darts of the enemy to, uh, to come at us. I don't know if you remember the, uh, the movie um, um, Gladiator. The very beginning, when they're preparing to have, the, have a, a battle with, uh, so I think it's, the Germanic hordes, with all due respect to Germanic people. But um, Maximus, 
says, on my signal, unleash hell. And when he gives the signal, all of the fire, the arrows, the fiery arrows and the, the big fire and pitch and everything else go flying towards the, uh, towards the enemy. I said, that was inappropriate. He said, unleash hell, because that's the, the mental picture that I have. We think of a little fiery dart, boop, you know, no. That's not the way the enemy plays. He doesn't play fair. And so we can expect fiery darts. And uh, I don't know if, um, if any of you have experienced any of, any of that individually or as a church, but I know that we have uh, as a family. And fiery darts don't look like little fiery darts. They look more like temptations, accusations, health problems, strained relationships, stress at work, or in the home, doubt, fear, frustration, discouragement, despair, sometimes even doubting God. Are you really there, God? What am I here for? Um, And attacks on those that you love are especially effective. The devil doesn't come at us with a trident and a little pointy tail. In many cases, he uses unwitting humans to do the job for him. Sometimes we even think they're our friends or our family members, but he knows how to attack. In the church, we have darts in the church too, don't we? Those take the form of, the music's too loud, the service is too long, the church is too cold, the church is too hot, I liked it better the old way, the sermon's too simple, the sermon's too complicated. Uh, why don't we fill in the blanks, you know, whatever. And we're not the first ones to have that. Look at 1 Corinthians. You know, if you think we had a problem, they had some serious problems in 1 Corinthians. I hope we don't have any of those. Uh, but is anybody here already experiencing some of those, some of those attacks? You know, get ready. Tighten up your chin straps. Uh, put on the full armor of God, you know. We need that shield of faith more than ever before. Faith comes from the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means firm persuasion, assurance, firm conviction, faithfulness, knowledge of, assent to, confidence in certain divine truths. That's the kind of faith that we have to have. And shield, the word shield, is all throughout the Bible. I mean, I I didn't realize that until I started doing a little research on this, but especially in the Psalms, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is a help in our shield. The Lord is a sun and a shield. He is the help in their shield. Our shield belongs to the Lord. Remember that song that we used to sing about 25 years ago? Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, thy glory and the lifter of my head. That was a good one. I like that. So, um, E.M. Bounds uh, says in his book on prayer, when, when, uh, when Caleb was quoting uh, out of two different books last week, Terry immediately ordered them on Amazon Prime and got them like in two days. But we started reading the book on prayer from E.M. Bounds. And this is one of the first things it says, Faith does the impossible because it brings God to undertake for us. And nothing is impossible with God. So that's the kind of shield of faith that, that I want to have. In the, um, 
you talk about the movie, the movie Gladiator, all of, all of the Romans. The Roman shield was about four feet high. It was about two and a half feet wide. It was made of uh, bull hide, typically stretched over a wooden frame and bound with iron. Pretty heavy thing to, uh, to, to carry around. But that would have been what, what Paul was referring to. That would have been probably most prominent in his mind when he thought of a, thought of a shield. It was like a, a small, small door. But when, um, when, the, uh, when the enemy would, or when the, when the Romans would, would, I just had a mental image. Uh, how many of you remember when we used to do, this is back in the old days, in another season of Christian Indulgence, we used to do all these big musical productions and all kinds of things. We did one called, what was it, Door 7? It was about the birth of Christ. And I had this mental image because Jim Moore was a Roman soldier in this play that we did it did at Christmas time. He was the most fantastic looking Roman soldier, had the perfect, perfect uh, outfit and everything like that. And of course Jim is a you know a very strong guy anyway and that was twenty some twenty some years ago, so you can only imagine the only thing that was rough about it, we had a we had a very gifted um makeup artist and the lipstick on him just didn't didn't kind of didn't fit but anyway. But I digress. So um but one of the things, and I had this, I had this vision, is that the old men had vision, or I, maybe it was a dream, I don't remember. But uh, I, was, I was praying for Dick Barnell about two or three weeks ago, Dick and, Dick and Cynthia, and please keep them in, in your prayers. They, they very much need your prayers. But I had a vision of um, the Roman tortoise. How many know what the Roman tortoise was? The Roman tortoise was a, a formation. And the, the, what, it, what it did was all of the Roman soldiers it would take a minimum of probably 20 of them, 25 of them, and they would take those shields that were four feet high and two feet wide, and they would, they would form a complete square. And all, those, all of their shields would be locked together all around the sides. All of the guys in the middle would put their shields over the, over the top so that it was, it was basically, basically and so they could actually attack the walls of a city. They could tear down strongholds. They could attack the walls of a city under the testudo because everything was fi- being fired down at them would just bounce off of those shields. So they could actually get in close to the wall. They could get in close to the fight because of the shields that were, that were over them. And... Um, I think that's something that we need to we need to think of ourselves. We need to find uh, more ways to stand together. We need to find more ways to uh, to be a testudo, uh, to use our shields of faith to protect not only ourselves but one another's, to lift up each other uh, in the in the season to come because the attack is is sure to come. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. All, these all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's the New King James Version of Hebrews chapter 11. And 
in the message version, it says this. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. This is the this is the, the part that I, I when I read the two different the two different versions, this is what jumped out at me. Each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this in this world. And I see us, uh, our role as, as elders is to see what is off in the, in the distance, to hear from, hear from the Lord about how we will be blessed as this, as this body and what the Lord has for us for the, for the future. And the future is, is exciting. In, uh, in uh, the same movie I was talking about earlier, Gladiator, Maximus, when he's first starting, he's getting ready to attack with the, uh, with the cavalry. And he says, stay with me. Hold the line. What you do in life echoes in eternity. And I believe and I pray that what we will do with the Lord as our strength and our shield in the season to come will echo in eternity. And I believe that because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what the Lord has in store for those who love him. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.